0: Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's Audio Sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us.
1: Did you watch uh, some Christmas movies over the holidays? I, I I bet most people did. 1983, a, a, a movie came out called The Christmas Story. Some of you remember that one? One of my favorite scenes is when uh, Ralphie, right? When Ralphie's sitting in front of the radio, and it's Annie Orphan's secret circle club, right? He, he's a member. There's this radio program, and, and there's an announcement, and you see, you see Ralph, Ralphie got a, a secret decoder pin. Remember that in the movie? He, you know how he got that pin? By drinking gallons of Ovaltine. He, he, he won it, okay? And so he's got this secret decoder pin, and there's this message that's coming out, this, this important message from Orphan Annie herself. And as a member of the secret circle club, Ralphie, it's very important that you keep it secret. Here's the message. right? And so, so he, he, he gets the, the cipher, he gets the code off the radio. And he runs upstairs, he runs in the bathroom, the only place he can have privacy, right? And he gets in there, and as soon as he gets there, someone's pounding on the door. Open up! Just a minute, just a minute. He he ciphers it. He gets the code, and and he's so excited. This is an important message," said Annie Orfe, you know, orphan Annie. This is an important message. And he's thinking to himself, maybe this is a message that the fate of the world hangs on. Translates, and what did the message say? Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. (laughs) Be sure to drink more Ovaltine. And and, and he's he's crushed. Remember the scene? A crummy commercial? There's a lot of information in our world today. A lot of news that really isn't news. There's news that's commentary. There's news that's opinion. There's a lot of news in the world today. What news is really important? What news really matters? That's our question today. Uh, Do you know what Jesus spoke about most often? What news he brought? I mean, does it come to your mind? What was his main message he spoke again and again and again. It was news that the, real, the world really did hang on. It's, a, it's news that really does matter even 2,000 years later today. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. What is that news? And why does it matter? And what should you do with it? Gospel of Matthew, or Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse... 14, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. News that matters. News that's important to the world. Jesus spoke it. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. No more higher news, no greater news, no greater truth has the world ever heard. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. John had a powerful ministry. He stirred the nation, John the Baptist, he preached the same message, the same message that Jesus preached, just in a little different context. John himself said, "Repent and believe in the gospel." And remember how the nation went out to him? He baptized, he baptized Jesus in fact. We talked about that last week. His time was up at a certain point. He he was arrested. You can Read about it in Mark chapter 6. John was arrested and then Jesus came into Galilee. The way that Mark sets up his explanation of Jesus' life, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, he wants us to know about him. He wants us to know what he taught. He wants us to trust in him. He, he sets it up in, in a certain way where immediately Jesus uh, is baptized, he's tempted, and he goes into Galilee, but... We know uh, from the Gospel of John that this took place about a year after Jesus was baptized. Uh, uh, Jesus' ministry probably was up to a year in, in Judea, in Jerusalem, and in the southern part of the country. And then, the, then this, this event happened where, where John was arrested uh, by a government official whom he criticized. And Jesus went into Galilee. Galilee is the northern part of Israel. It's, it's the It's the country. But but it's not just the country, it's a cosmopolitan area with, with Greeks and Syrians and Romans and Jews, a bunch of people that are hating each other, a bunch of people that are distraught with one another, frustrated with one another, nothing like we're experiencing today. A uh, people that were divided, a people that had different agendas, a different different perspective, different ways of looking at life, different religions, even. He goes into Galilee and he begins to preach. He begins to proclaim, he begins to announce something very important, the gospel of God. The gospel of God, the evangelion of God, the good news. Uh, The gospel is is good news, it's it's not bad news, it's it's good news, it's it's a celebration, it's an announcement of victory, it's an announcement of something great happening. Jesus didn't come to preach just to preach some information, some some general information. He came with the gospel of God. The gospel from God. The good news from heaven. Life-changing news. News that the history of the world hinged upon where everything changed. He said in verse 15, and verse 15 explains the gospel from God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he makes two statements there that we want to understand. What, what is this information? What is this message? What, 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 what is he explaining? What is he rejoicing in? What is he spreading around the world? What does he want the Romans and the Syrians and the Americans to know? Why did he come from heaven? It's not trivial information. This is something that was the core of his message, the core of his life. This is why he came, the proclamation of the gospel. Two statements in verse 15. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is is at hand. The time is fulfilled. Uh, There's a lot of different ways to look at time, isn't there? I mean, you can look at time hourly, weekly, yearly, a chronological kind of time. That's not the kind of time that he's thinking about here or discussing here. He's talking, when when he says, the fulfillment of time. The time is fulfilled. it's It's the fullness of time that he's interested in. In other words... The scriptures in the Old Testament, going into the New Testament, they look forward to a time that would come, an era, a stage, an age would arrive. Something that history looked up to, something that history was moving towards, a completion of something, the start of something, a special season, a spiritual season, a season that would change the world. He said, It's fulfilled, it's here, it's present. Now! Important message. Jesus didn't come to sell Ovaltine. He didn't come to do a lot of things that modern pitchmen do or modern organizations or corporations do. He came with a message of good news for the world. And his start that we may not understand initially is he's saying, the good news, what God has done, what God has planned, it's here. It's come. It's for you. How will you respond? Well, the second second statement, and this will unpack it a little bit more. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, uh, at hand... Is that another chronological, in our mind, our thinking, is it a chronological statement like something happened, something happened, and and the next thing is here? It's more along the lines of it's present. At hand means it's accessible. Maybe before it wasn't as accessible as it is now, but it's at hand. It's near. You can reach out and grab it. You could enter it right now. It's at hand, and you can imagine Jesus as he preached this in various contexts. He would go into synagogues. He'd go into the Jewish synagogues. Synagogues were places where the Jewish people would meet in in a time of of oppression, in a time of uh, other religions encroaching on their beliefs. They would go into the synagogue to be encouraged, to build up their faith. Jesus would enter into the synagogue, and he would preach these kind of messages. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He'd go into the open air. Remember him getting in the boats on the side of the Sea of Galilee. He'd be in the boonies in the wilderness and he'd preach these messages. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The time is fulfilled. It's arrived. You can enter it right now. So what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God that he preached about, that he proclaimed, that he built his life on, that he came to explain to humanity? Uh, for us, maybe it's a, a little bit distant message. It's, it's kind of code, kind of a cipher that Gentiles the world over don't really get initially. It was originally something that the Jewish people understood very clearly. Remember, why, why did so many people go out to hear John the Baptist preach? Why, why did so many people go out to that baptism of repentance? Because John spoke an insider's language. The kingdom is here. Repent. And all the Jewish people knew what he was talking about. And some of us Gentiles that didn't grow up in a Jewish context, we don't understand what the hope was for the Jewish people. What they were dreaming of. The Jewish people dreamed, longed for, for centuries, for this announcement to be made. For centuries. They dreamed and they prayed for this thing, this event, this time to arrive. When Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, or in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God is here. It was life-changing news, world-altering news for the Jewish people. It was an idea that had been building for 2,000 years. It was was a concept, a motif, an understanding of life, a worldview that, that they they built their lives into and, and hoped for, and they, the, the, their fulfillment of, of the Jewish dreams would be found in it. Let, let me run you through some of the scriptures so you'll get a feel for what had been building. Let me run you through some scriptures so you'll get a feel for the hope that Jesus has pronounced here, the, the good news of what God had done and what he'd begun doing and, in the future, that he was accomplishing. If you, if you turn back to Genesis, we're, we're the, the root of this idea. Now, we, we, get a, we get a sense, Genesis 12, Genesis 12, verse 3. Uh, we, we get an idea when, when you think, think of a kingdom, our minds, we can grasp a kingdom. A, a king or a queen has a dominion or a realm, a king or a king rules, but, but Jesus is some, saying something more specific here, and, and it starts way back in Genesis. Uh, and, and the idea that was building, the, the thoughts, the dreams that were building for so many centuries for Jewish people. It starts back in Genesis. Remember in Genesis, in chapter 3, where sin comes and there's a separation. Sin comes and people rebelling against God and, and falling away from God's great plan and God, God's great order in the world. And remember in, in, in Genesis 11, where, where the, the world is divided... The problem of sin, our separation from God, and the problem of sin separating us from other peoples, God decided he was going to do something about that, and he called Abram to be his servant. He called this man, Abraham, that was known later as Abraham, to fix the problem, to start fixing the problem. And look what it says in verse 3, the the call to come to away from His people, away from His religion and, and to follow Yahweh. I will bless those who bless you. In Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and what does He mean by in you? If you read through Genesis, you'll see His descendants is who He's talking about. Abraham's going to have descendants. A, a promised child is going to come. Somebody that, that's going to carry a promise that's going to accomplish something. In you, All the peoples of the earth, all the nations of the earth will have the opportunity for blessing. In other words, the reverse of the curse. We see in Genesis the beginning of the plan of redemption. We see in Genesis the beginning of God retaking the world that was lost. Bringing it back to Himself. Bringing people back to Himself. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed by reconciliation. By being drawn back to me. Well, this, this idea... Uh, of descendants coming. It, it builds in Genesis, in and, and, and just the, a few passages. Genesis 17, verse 6. Look at, look at what uh, God tells them. There's, there's so much here. I, I just want to skim the surface. I will make you, Gen, Genesis 17, 6, I'll make you exceedingly fruitful, Abraham. I'll make you into nations, and kings will come from you. Okay, so we, we have in Genesis this, this promise of God fixing the world. The sins of humanity, the the separation of humanity through this man Abraham, and and now your descendants. There's going to be kings that come. Okay, so we're starting down this road of uh, of something big. Kings and kingdoms will come from you, and and Rose, I didn't put this on your sheet, but if you if you look at uh, Numbers 24, Numbers 24, 17, uh, uh, kind of an obscure text for some of us, but it's a uh, Balaam's prophecy is oracle, and, and he was supposed to speak against Israel, but God uses him to speak about the future. John, numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter, a, a scepter is a, a, a staff representing a king's rule, a scepter shall rise out of Israel will crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Uh, a, a, a king will arise out of Jacob, out of Israel. And throughout the Torah, throughout the first five books of the Bible, we see hints here and there, promises here and there that the Jewish people grabbed a hold of. Descendants will come, kings will come, a king will come out of Jacob, out of Israel. He will rule, he'll be a powerful Wonderful king. And so uh, hundreds and hundreds of years passed, and by the time we get a 1,000 years before Jesus' day, uh, Israel is got in the habit of sin, uh, not listening to God, not being the spokesman that he wanted them to be, not being the people that was going to bring the light to the nations. And, and they fall into sin and struggle and brokenness, and they fall into fear. If you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12, something happens that uh, sets the nation on a, a course towards a monarchy 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 12 Uh, Israel was uh, facing the end of Samuel the last judge in the Old Testament the end of his life they didn't want his sons to reign and and, and so they've got enemies they've got people going to attack them and they're fearful And, and, and they ask for a king verse 12 and when you saw that Nahash the king of the Ammonites came against you you said to me no but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now this this is an important moment because the, the people are are actually leading into God's will. Even through their disobedience. They knew that God mentally knew that God was their king, their Lord, their sovereign. They were living under the reign of the king, but, but they really weren't. They, they were living out of faithlessness. They weren't trusting in their king. They weren't trusting in their God. And, and when trouble came, they said, and Samuel was going away. They said, Give us a king like the other nations have, so we can be like the other nations. And God in his mercy. Samuel wanted God to blow him up for that request. But God in his mercy gave them a king and started them down this, this road of monarchy and, and living with a king in their presence. God was their king, but but God is the agenda here. God way back in Genesis spoke of, of descendant coming and, and king coming from Abraham's lineage. In and, and Numbers, a, a scepter would rise, and so they're playing in their disobedience right into God's hands, ironically. And when you get to 2 Samuel 7, turn over to 2 Samuel 7. In this context, God has picked out a king after his own heart. He picked out David, a man after his own heart, to rule the nation. And David's obedience, David's love of his God, his desire to honor God results in uh, him asking God to, if he could make a temple and, and a beautiful, beautiful act of worship on his part. But from that, uh, God makes David a promise. And, and this is a promise that rung through the centuries, uh, a promise that Israel held on to. Look at chapter 7, verse 16. In your house, speaking to David, after this wonderful request of David wanting to serve him, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He's promising a line, a line that would never end. He's promising a kingdom that would never end. A radical, beautiful kingdom coming. And so the Jewish people over the centuries, they held on to that even when they didn't have a king on the throne. Even when they didn't understand what was happening as the nations came in and took advantage of them and oppressed them and conquered them. They held on to this, this belief. And, and the Psalms, the, the Psalms take, take this theme and, and they run with it. Uh, uh, Psalm 2, we won't turn there, but Psalm 2, it starts, it starts talking in, in exalted terms about a coming king. He's a, he's a king, he's an anointed one, and he's a son. And why do the nations rage against God's son, the king? And, and, and back in the day, you had, they probably were like, the son, the king, what's it, what's it talking about? And, and through the Psalms, we, we get so many Psalms, uh, Psalm, Psalm 45, that this king will represent God. In Psalm 72, the, the, this, this king will be an everlasting king. The Psalms say that he will rule the world. Rule God's world. And so the, the, the Jewish people, as they're worshiping, like we worship today, we sang some songs today that had some significance, had some depth, had some words that were meant to stick. People, the, the Jewish people read the Psalms, and they, in their heart, over the, over the decades, over the centuries, the generations that came and went, they, they kept thinking about this king that was promised to come, that was going to rule the world, that was going to change things, that was going to bring them freedom. They started dreaming praying, God, when is this king going to come? Uh, more scriptures, if you look at Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, I start in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, see the prophets started talking about these kings too, and Daniel has this unique take on it, I saw in the night vision, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Okay, so, so this, this, this vision that he has, he sees this king coming. To him is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And, and boy, you think if you're, if you're you know, growing up, in Israel, and, and you know, the Babylonians, the Assyrians come and they destroy your, your your people. And then later on, the Babylonians come and destroy the nation, and you're still in exile. Like you, maybe you've come home to to Israel, and you're living in a village, and you still see the Roman soldiers running around. And you read something like that. Your God, when is your promise, this vision, going to come true? When this when this this one like a person, one like a man. But he's greater than that. He comes on the clouds of heaven. When is he going to come? When is he going to deliver? When is he going to rescue? When is he going to receive dominion of the world? When is this going to happen? And so the the kingdom of heaven, they start thinking there's going to be a king that's coming and and the kingdom of God, it's going to come. One day, it's going to arrive. And and so uh, so many promises. And so alongside this idea of a king coming, there's also this promise of the day of the Lord an arrival of God's kingdom where he's going to rule the earth. And and so if you just look back at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, again, trying to paint the picture of of what Jesus is announcing when he says the kingdom of heaven is here. What what is he saying? What is he getting at? What is he he preaching? Uh, This imagery, these pictures. And Isaiah the prophet, when he preached to the nation that had gone into exile, he said said this. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Isaiah. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, okay, that the temple area, the Jerusalem, shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills, symbolically above all the other gods and all the other religions and all the other towns and all the other cities of the world. And all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Uh, So many prophecies like this about God establishing his kingdom in Jerusalem, his reign, his rule. The prophet said it's coming. Right now you don't see it. Right now you don't see the king ruling, the king reigning, but the son, the king, the Messiah, the Christ is coming. The anointed one, the son of God, he's on his way, is what the prophets kept preaching. And when he comes, it's going to look like this. It's going to be this shalom, this peace, this worldwide peace, where all the enemies of Israel will be destroyed, where there will be no more wickedness or evil, where the, where the swords will be turned into plowshares. Etc., etc. And so running down this path, if, if you look at the, the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 11, uh, what were the, some of the promises that God made Israel? What were, what were the, some of the things that were going to happen? Um, chapter 11 of Hosea, verse 10 They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. We get some of our contemporary Christian songs from this verse. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall, shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like the doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. Uh, the prophets kept saying to the people that had been scattered in Egypt, scattered in Assyria, scattered all over the world by the persecution that came upon the Jewish people. The prophets were saying, one day I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. Establish you back in the land that I gave your forefathers, your ancestors. I'm going to bring you back and it will belong to you. Promises that that will come when the kingdom comes. And and, boy, you think about what Jesus started preaching, right? You think about what Jesus started preaching in the day to the Jewish people as they could see the Roman soldiers walk along the street. They could hear the Roman soldiers making fun of their daughters. They could hear the Roman soldiers taking their hard-earned cash The kingdom is coming. They hoped, they prayed, they dreamed. And and, and Jesus, the prophets are talking about one day we'll be sovereign again. One day we'll be in control of our land again. One day we'll be in control uh, of of things again because God will raise us up. And so wonderful and and glorious promises uh, came through. If you look over to the next book, the the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. What were some of the other things that would happen when the kingdom came? It shall come to pass afterwards, Joel 2:28, when the kingdom comes, when the Messiah comes, that I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even the male and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And so again, the the nation has been sent into exile. They've been ruined. They've been wrecked by evil forces and by ungodly religions. They've been sent into exile because of their idolatry. And God's saying, one day, one day through the prophet Joel, one day I'm going to bring back my people. I'm going to pour out my spirit on the people. And they'll be my preachers, they'll be my spokesmen, men and women. All all will speak the the word of the Lord. And we see that coming true in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost. When the Spirit falls, what happened before Pentecost? Well, somebody came, something happened, something arrived. Uh, More promises if you look back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Uh, Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it contain promises like this. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. What days? When the kingdom comes. Declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The promise of Jeremiah is the Torah, the law, the instruction of God, the gift of God that he gave to Israel be written on the inside. Be part and parcel of what it means to be a believer. Know the will of God. The Spirit will be there guiding and instructing. The covenant will come, a new covenant will happen. There's beautiful and wonderful things taking place. Mark, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That history, that, that snippet of history that I gave you from the Old Testament, all that's adding up in the people's minds. They've been praying for those things to come true, for the Spirit to fall, for the new covenant to come. They've been praying for freedom. They've been praying for release. They've been praying for God to come and reign in their midst, to send the Messiah. They've been hoping and, and dreaming about what would happen when God fulfilled His promises. And Jesus comes. And He says, The time you've been waiting for is here. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. You can enter it. You can grab a hold of it. You can take it in hand. It's now. what a message. What powerful preaching. The content that God has arrived. That the rule of God has come. He preached it again and again and again. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, let me, just to give you a snippet, a snapshot of how this message came out in different ways. He went to his hometown of Nazareth, chapter 4, verse 16. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He went to his Jewish his Jewish family, his Jewish friends, his Jewish people, and he stood to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the recovery of the sight of the blinds, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What was the scripture about? We read it as well, he's going to set some, he's going to help some poor people. He's going to let the prisoners go. He's going to help heal the, the blind. He's going to let uh, the oppressed, he's going to bring them to liberty. Like we, we project in our day, and he's, he's, he's talking about his healing ministry, right? No, he's quoting from Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is making a promise to Israel that's in exile, that's in slavery, that's in bondage. And, and, and Isaiah 61 is saying one day one's going to come, and he's going to set you free. He's going to come reign and He's going to come rule. He's going to deliver you. And so what Jesus is saying before His hometown crowd, His synagogue that He probably grew up attending from time to time, He goes in there and He says, Today this is fulfilled. In other words, today the Messiah has come. Today the kingdom is here. Today it's accessible. And you can be saved. Just as what was promised to Israel of old. What should you do? Jesus gave this message. What, what did he say about this message? You see, God's rule has come. And maybe you're saying, well, I, I, don't, I don't really see it. I mean, if it came, I mean, we think about the coming messianic kingdom, like when Jesus comes from heaven and he comes to the earth, and he, we see him literally in our, in, our, in our sight. You know, then maybe we'll say, well, he, he's here, but... No, he's saying he, it's here now. But, but we, we struggle because we, we can't see it. Let me give you uh, just a, a picture of what he's talking about. When he says, the time has been fulfilled, it's come. Uh, I read a story about the Wright brothers. Remember those guys that invented the airplane? And all their, their trials and all their, their struggles with getting that plane off the ground. Uh, when they first flew, okay, it was the harbinger of what was to come. When they first got that plane in the air, we, they didn't know that there'd be, maybe they thought of it, maybe they dreamed of it, there, there'd be airlines flying and we could go on planes and we could travel the world, right? And we do it all the time. When that new era of flight came, okay, it, it started in principle something that would last and last and last. When that new era of flight started, in principle, it it started there. That's what Jesus is saying about the kingdom when he's preaching in Mark, when he's preaching in Luke, when he went to the synagogues, when he went to the country. He was saying, Now it's come, and it's going to be here, and it's going to unfold. Remember his parables. The kingdom of heaven is like the smallest of seeds. Starts off so small you can't hardly see it, and then it grows into a great tree. The kingdom of heaven is like seeds that you put in the ground, and at some point the plant comes out of the ground, and at some point it bears fruit. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that works through the dough. It spreads all through the dough. And so Jesus in his parable says, the kingdom of heaven has come. I have come. The king is here. You might not see it completely, but it's spreading through the world. It's spreading right now through the world. A new era has started. A new beginning has started. And now it's spreading life upon life upon life as people trust in me. As people turn in their life to me, as they put their faith in me. They come under the reign of the King. They come into the kingdom. And right now we don't see it totally, completely done. But it's started and it's here It's working its way through the world, and one day He will come back. One day the kingdom will be fully present when the King comes again. Jesus is saying, it's here now. What should you do? The rule of God has come. A change in the world. A change in the world came with the coming of Jesus Christ. The King has come. The kingdom has come. What should you do about it? Why does this message matter? Turn back to Mark, verse 1. What is the imperative that he gives? What is the command that he gives for you and for I, for the world, now that this message has been heard? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So there's actually two imperatives that mean the same thing, two sides of the same coin. Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. What should you do if you believe that God has come? You believe that God rules the world. So what? Satan believes that. The demons believe that. What should you do with the message, the proclamation of Jesus Christ? What should should you do with the truth? Repent. Repent means to turn from something. Biblically, it means to turn from false thinking, it means to turn from evil. Means to turn from sin. It means to turn from what God says is wrong. To turn away from it. Uh, And and really, repentance carries some emotional terms as well. When we repent, uh, there's a sense in most repentance, that the kind that Jesus is talking about. To repent means to have some kind of remorse over the sin, some kind of guilt over the sin and over the evil, over the wrong thinking. When we come to understand the truth, it's, oh, I lived that way. Oh, I've been thinking that way. I've been, I've been treating people that way. Oh, there's regret involved. But repentance is more than regret. It's more than emotional guilt. It's more than shame. Repentance, true biblical repentance, is when it enters into your life. When repentance becomes real is when your life is changed. Turn from sin and turn towards what God says to do. An example, again, from Luke. Luke chapter 7, verse 3. Remember when John the Baptist went out and preached repentance? What happened? What kind of repentance did he talk about? Just a light, cheap repentance? Like, oh, I'm so sorry, and then go on with your life? Oh, I'm so sorry, and then go on living the way you used to live. No, because the kingdom of God and the rule of God is present because the king has arrived. There is a different kind of repentance that the world often doesn't understand. So verse 7 of chapter 3 of Luke, when he called them to repentance and a baptism of repentance, what did he call them to do? He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, behavior. A true repentance will have behaviors, different actions, different ways of living. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, to, for, to is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of, root of the trees. Even, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruits is cut down and thrown in the fire. He's talking about... Okay, I, I, I repent, I change, I, I, I turn from my sin. But if you never turn from your sin, if you never change, the axe is still at the, at the root of the tree. The judgment is still coming because it's a false repentance. It's an untrue repentance. And so the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them very practically, Whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. A change in lifestyle, a change in behavior, where you love people in their need. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to them, "'Teacher, what shall we do?' He said to them, "'Collect no more than you're authorized to do "'instead of ripping people off.'" Soldiers also asked him, "'We, what shall we do?' And he said to them, "'Do not extort money from anyone uh, by threats, "'by false accusations, "'and be content with your wages.'" Repentance, a true repentance, isn't just a sorrow over my sin. Oh, I'm sorry I felt the penalty of that. A true repentance says, God, I hear you. You're the king. Help me to live for you now. Help me to live for you. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do by your grace, by your power. I'm going to be transformed. I'm going to change. I'm going to live a godly life. I'm going to come to obedience. I surrender to the Lord. Is what repentance, turning from sin to God. The other side of the coin is believe. Believe in the gospel. Okay, a belief. What, what, belief, what kind of belief? Again, people say they believe in God all the time. I watch sports. I, I, I've watched some, some highlights of some NFL games. And after the touchdown, whoo, you know, touchdown, boom, celebrate. Ooh, Lord, you're it. Okay, a Belief. Lots of people believe in God. Lots of athletes say, I'm blessed by God. So what? Do we believe in the gospel? Do we believe in the name of Jesus Christ? And what that pertains to, that, that, little, that little preposition, in, do I believe in? Do I believe in? See, lots of people say they believe in God, but so does Satan. Satan. So do so wicked people. They believe in God, but it doesn't change their behavior. It doesn't lead to life change or outcomes. To believe, the type of belief here, it's the other side of repentance. Repentance is to turn from. Belief that Jesus is talking is, is to turn towards, to turn to God. And what that means really practically is to put your personal faith and trust in the King. You're assenting to the facts of the gospel. You're you're believing the truths of the gospel from the heart. You're owning it and saying, Lord Jesus, I believe You're God. And again, if you truly are believing personally and really in the gospel, in the good news, in Jesus Christ, that's where you're saved. That's where you've come to truly believe it. It'll, It'll come out in behavior sooner or later. It'll come out in lifestyle if it's authentic. A cheap grace does not result in transformation a saving faith, a belief in Jesus Christ, a trust in Jesus Christ, will ultimately lead to transformation. Ralphie, uh, when he heard the news, he realized it wasn't worth a thing. Orphan Annie had led him wrong. Who cares about more Ovaltine? This is the greatest message ever heard. But it's not just a message that's thrown out there information. It's not just information. It's information that, that Jesus spoke, that He brought to us. It's information that He called us to believe in. It's information that He called us to grab a hold of and build our life on. This information is worthless to you if you don't repent and believe in the gospel. Have you repented, turned from your evil ways, Have you repented and believed in Jesus Christ? Trust in Him with your very life. The rule of God has come. Come under the reign of the King. God has come to this earth and He started something, an event, a Jesus event that goes on and on and on and it's growing in the world. It's it's changing the world. It's, It's going through the nations. And one day it'll come to completion when the King comes back. Have you been found in the kingdom? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you repented and turned to Him in faith? The message, if that doesn't happen, information is just information without action. I call on you to believe in Jesus Christ today. It was the most important message of Jesus' whole life that you would trust personally in Him and His kingdom and live evermore in His name. Please turn to Jesus today and trust and be saved. Would you please stand in the Lord's presence? Lord God, thank you for giving us the gospel of Mark. Thank you for the, these words of life, these true words that have come to us through the ages and that we can rehearse and we can learn from and, and, and step under. Lord, your authority. Lord, we, we recognize that we are, we are people that are we're lost at times and we don't make, make sense of things sometimes. And in our sin, we, we, we need your grace, Lord. We ask, Lord, if we haven't come to You, if we haven't trusted in You, if we haven't turned our life over to You, that by Your grace, that You would show us what that means, Lord. You give us grace, the power to do so, the conviction and the courage to say yes to You and become Your disciple. Thank You, Lord, for saving. That You've come to reconcile the world to Yourself. You've come to reconcile us to Yourself. We give You worship and praise today. Thank you for coming to save us. In Jesus' name
0: we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand where he sits making intercession for his people and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.